This is um, the third. This is the fifteenth of uh, of our Tehillim Shirim, uh, but it's also the third of uh, a part of those Shirim that was focusing on the ritual of Tikkun Klali. We're not going to get too much into uh, the history of Tikkun Klali because we've done that in other installments, and I do want to focus on the words. Of the t- uh, my mistake, Tikkun Chatzos, Tikkun Chatzos, Tikkun Klali is a different thing. Uh, we're not going to focus so much uh, on the history of it, which we've discussed. But we're going to talk, hopefully, about the words of Tikkun Chatzos. Now, as I alluded to in the previous class, Tikkun Chatzos is split between two different types of tikkunim, two different types of, uh, two different sets, uh, orders of liturgy. The first is called Tikkun Rachel, and the second is called Tikkun Leah. And as we discussed, Tikkun Rachel is generally not said. For those that do have the custom of saying Tikkun Chatzos, Tikkun Rachel is generally not said on any days that we say, uh, that we do not say Tachnun on holidays, on Rosh Chodesh, uh, on Chol HaMoed, uh, Hanukkah, Sukkot. Um, Tikkun Rachel is not said, and Tikkun Leah is the only one that's said. So it does happen that Tikkun Leah becomes the de facto Tikkun Chatzos. I want to say a word on this without getting too Kabbalistic about it. Um, Rachel and Leah... Uh, I've alluded to this in the past. Rachel and Leah are representative of two kinds of worlds. In Kabbalah, I love uh, when people start off with that kind of a line, uh, especially for somebody like me who doesn't really know what he's talking about. Uh, It's always like, in Kabbalah, and then your eyes glaze over, and it's hard to understand what we're talking about. But I'm going to try and and give a little bit of uh, background to it. Alpi Kabbalah, so Rachel is what's called Bechinas Almad Isgalia. Rachel is the revealed world. And Alpi Kabbalah, Leah is representative of Almad Iskasia. In the writings of, uh, of Chabad, this is given a little bit of, uh, fleshed out a little bit to explain that Leah is described in the Torah as being Ene Leah Rakos, that Leah is crying that Leah is a perpetual kind of tears. Whereas Rachel, Rachel Imenu is representative of a world with, uh, without any illusions, without any coverings. We know that Leah and Rachel themselves were disguised to Yaakov Avinu in, uh, by, by hiding their identities. Rachel represents a world of direct Hanhaga. Rachel represents a world of direct involvement of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, what we might call the Hanhaga of Havaya, Shem Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, which indicates a much more intimate, a much more direct interaction between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a sense that God is truly imminent in every aspect of our lives. Leah, on the other hand, is representative of Anhaga B'Shem Elokus, the Anhaga of God as disguised in nature, of God interacting with the world in a more generalized sense. When the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, so both Hanhagas were nearly lost, but certainly the Hanhaga of Havaya, the close, intimate interaction, the sense that God is imminent in our lives and involved in every aspect, the Shem Havaya, the Tetragrammaton, the Shem Echad Yachid Umiyuchad, so that type of relationship with God was nearly severed, Lo Aleinu. And it's our job in the Gullus, in the diaspora, and in the exile, until the coming of the Mashiach, to repair that relationship with God. Leah represents an interaction with God as God rules the entire world. And as you'll see, in Tikkun Leia, in Tikkun Chatzos, there is a lot of discussion of God as master and ruler of the world entire. 
and all of the nations are referenced in Tikkun Leah. And Tikkun Leah, as we also mentioned, is recited even on days that we would say Tachnun because Tikkun Leah is also a collection of psalms, mostly psalms. Uh, there are some kinos and there are some selections from Tanakh as well, but mostly psalms uh, that represent hope and a desire for a better future, a desire for a rectified world. Whereas Rachel is wallowing in the despair of the destroyed Beis Hamikdash, the despair of destruction. And as we looked at the Psukim of Tikkun Rachel, the Kapitluch and Tehillim that are cited in Tikkun Rachel last week, we did see that it evinces the most sore pain, the most horrific pain of destruction. And Tikkun Lay is already a switch, already a transfer to yearning for Geula, yearning for redemption, yearning for a complete world. And certainly, um, as I mentioned last time, uh, and I think it behooves us to remind ourselves the words of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, Tikkun Chatzor should not just be seen. Even with all this discussion of Leah and Rachel and a revealed world and a concealed world that, that Leah represents, and uh, the sense of hoping for repairing and rebuilding the temple and mourning the destruction, Rabbi Nachman is very clear that Tikkun Chatzos is also something that's happening now. It is a time uh, when we're off-peak and neir balayla, awake at night, it is a time for us to call out to God and to ask God for rectification of the little destructions in our own lives and the little broken pieces, the chatzaim, the different halves of ourselves that need to be repaired, that need tikkunim, that need to be brought back together, uh, a kera that we sometimes feel, a, a ripping, a tearing that we feel that is enamis acha, that is not brought together. Tikkun chatzos is a rectification, small act of bringing those halves of our lives, those piece of our, pieces of our lives back together, which is ultimately represented by the coming of the Mashiach and the rebuilding of the temple. So all of these ideas are contained within Tikkun chatzos. And also just another prefatory comment, we also mentioned beautiful language of the Ramchal, uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Litzato, I believe in chapter 17 of Mesilus Yesharim, where the Ramchal told us that a person might say to themselves, what is it for me that I'm going to sit and I'm going to say Tikkun Chatzos and I'll cry a little bit. This is really going to bring back the Geula. This is going to fix the world. This is going to bring me to a state where I feel like I've done something. And the truth is, is that I was watching an educational, uh, an educator's discussion this week and educators were talking about how is it that we teach our students um, a, at a time when the world seems to be on fire, and B, when it feels that action and that the place where things are happening is so much removed from text, so much removed from the study that we try and focus on. So I want to say uh, two quick things about that. Uh, my contribution to the discussion was the following. is uh, I've had opportunity this week. Um, I'm an educator, so I really try and stay away from anything. I, I understand that I harbor my own political views, my own political perspectives. I think it's incumbent upon any educator to recognize that when they are teaching, especially children, that you're in a position of power and to be careful as to what we uh, give over to our students and to try as much as possible to be apolitical. Not that I think that uh, fighting for racial equality is something political, don't get me wrong, but to be sensitive to the fact that many students are hearing things from their own parents' houses. So what I've done this week uh, uh, with two groups, with one Chabura that I teach and another group of students is I said, let's focus on basics. And what does it mean to be a Yid? What does it mean to be a Jew? What is a Torah true hashkafa, as we call it? And I pointed out, for example, section in uh, Nach, 
of uh, the Navi Yirmiya Perek Zayin, where he talks about Hashem not desiring any of our karbanos if we can't treat each other properly. The, the sheer radicalness of the notion, the Chiddush, of saying things like Derech Eretz Torah, it's always the things that are so ubiquitous, that are so known, that uh, are truly the most radical. You know, every, every uh, cheder child and every child in, uh, in, in early Jewish day school will learn Derech Eretz Torah. And then you start to think about it and you realize how radical an idea that is. There's nothing more important than Torah. So how could I say that something comes before it? But indeed, that is the case. And I focused on mitzvah, Tafresh Yud Aleph, in Minchas Chinuch, which is the mitzvah of of imitating God, or to be a good modern Orthodox rabbi, I have to say the Latin imitatio day, that we talk about um, utilizing our understanding of God to do world. We're ma'amin, and we believe in God, we believe in these texts. Being spiritually active, spiritual activism means familiarizing myself with these texts, familiarizing myself with what these texts tell me to do, and then acting upon it. To, to be like a tree that in the words of Pirkei Avos, she, she enough of Meruve Migizo, that the, that the leaves that grow out from us, that the peros that come out from us, that is uh, that, we're, that we have a strong trunk, we have strong roots, strong foundation, that we have masim that come out from it also. So I said that there is, of course, a great importance at this historically fraught moment. Our country is going, undergoing a kind of revolution, hopefully for the positive, hopefully one that brings us closer to the entire world being filled with malar, it's Hashem, that the whole world will understand and know God. I mean, you have, I was saying to a friend of mine, you have a little muscle of it in, in, in just... You know, sometimes we read about these things. I say on, on Yom and Neiraim, I say, V'yada ko pa'u ki ata yitzarto, v'yavin kol yitzur ki ata yitzarto, v'yomar kol Hashem yishama v'yapo Hashem o'elukim. And I said, ha'yitachin, could it be? How could I say this? I don't, I can't believe, could you really believe the entire world, or the majority of the world at the very least, getting to a point where they recognize God? Kamayim le'yam nechassim, like water covers over the oceans, can, can we? And then I look at this week, in a week, Right in a week, definitely some scary elements of it also, and 400 years of a certain way of thinking is being overturned in a week. Right, the Overton window, the window of what's allowed to be discussed, what's allowed to be said, has shifted so radically. So not to be not to be a little chauvinistic about it, but in, indeed I think we have this week a muscle of what that messianic thing looks like. I mamish see that. How could it be that the whole world changes their mind about something? It's not everybody. There's still people out there that, that, that don't get with the program. But I, you could see an inkling. I mean, this is a little bit of what it is. That's what it means to look at the world with the eyes of a yid, is to look at this and say, this is what it's going to be like. This is, going to be, this is the messianic. The whole world will understand Hashem. The whole world will understand that Hashem's presence fills up the world. Anyway, so I said that when we study these texts, it's actually now more than ever. Now more than ever, do we have to familiarize ourselves? Do we have to anchor ourselves? Do we have to find the texts, the things that we as Yehudim Aminim, as, as believing Jews that we believe in, now's the time to dive into it. Now's the time to make sure that our values, that the things that, that we hold to be true, to be self-evident about our identity, that we're very familiar with them. Because if you're not certain about your values, if you're not certain about what you believe in, now is going to be a time where you're going, to be, you're going to be tossed and turned about and confused and dragged along by the news that changes every five minutes. 
So Baruch Hashem, we have a Torah that's thousands of years old, that's guided us through much more tumultuous periods and times, and allows us to think about what right action and what right thought and what doing the right thing is and what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us, which is primary in all of our minds, which Baruch Hashem harmonizes with the zeitgeist at the moment about doing good and about being Yashar, uh, Tzadik, Tamim, Paul Tzadik, all these things that are mentioned in Mitzvah Taf Reshid Aleph and the Chinuch, you should look it up, it's a very beautiful thing. So that's why I think it's more important than ever to familiarize ourselves with these texts. With that uh, preamble, so we're going to go into Tikkun Rachel, and, um, and, I, and I, I, I want to share a few things with us. We won't have time to do everything, but Amir Tzashem, I want to move past Tikkun Chatzos and uh, to be able to bring us to, uh, to a new limit after this. We'll continue. I think we'll do one or two more shirim of Tilim, and then I'm uh, toying with some other ideas of what we might learn over the summer, Bezus Hashem. So let's continue. We did Tikkun Rachel last week. And we mentioned in the beginning, Ladavid Mizmor, La Shemarat Mloa Table of Yosheva. So Psalms chapter twenty-four. And I mentioned last week, and I want to especially focus on the Malbim. Why is it that we start off Tikkun Leah, which is referencing the rebuilding of the temple and hope for the future? Why is it that we focus on this and this seemingly unconnected capital? Right? Hashem Aretz Mloa Hashem, the, the earth is the Lord's. Okay, what does that have to do with the Beis Hamikdash? So we saw that the, Benez, that, the, uh, that the Radak, I'm going to read it over here for you. The Radak says, David Mizmor, Zeha Mizmor Chibru David. This Mizmor is written by David HaMelech, Sheyomro, so Sheyachnis, Aron Leves Kodesh HaKedoshim. So we mentioned that in Divrei Ayomim, in Divrei Ayomim, we're told that David HaMelech went to go purchase uh, Goren, Ar, Goren Arvan. Uh, he went to go purchase a threshing floor a threshing floor from the Yivusim, from Arvan. And when he bought it from Arvan, that was just the seeds, so to speak, the seeds of what would eventually become the Makam HaMikdash, the most holy and sanctified place in the world. And it was always there. It was always holy. And David HaMelech purchased it with, uh, with money, and it became ours. And David HaMelech, by the way, there are three places, uh, I've seen this uh, in a lot of people's houses, there's three places, the Medrash tells us there's three places in Eretz Yisrael that we bought with kesef, with money, so that Umas Olam will never be able to say, that you've stolen it from us. You guys know what the three places are? First is Chevron, which was bought by Avram Avinu from Avram Achiti. Then there's Shechem, which is Makam Kfur of Yosef HaTzadik. And then there's finally the Makam HaMikdash, Hara Moriah, which is bought by David HaMelech from the Yivusi Arvan. So those are the three places that the Medrash tells us that we should never, the nations of the world, not to stop all the nations of the world, they definitely say this, but, uh, but at least we know that it was bought with Kesef Tzaruf, right? It was bought with money, that's ours. So David HaMelech buys it, and David HaMelech foresees the future. He foresees the future. He says, The entire world, the entire firmament is folded into this place. It's folded into this threshing floor. Because what's going to happen is that eventually, when I die and my son completes, when Shlomo Amalek completes the construction of the Beis HaMikdash, so they're going to bring the Aaron, they're going to bring it in and they're going to say this Kapitl of Tehillim. They're going to say this Mizmer. Right? This is the Mizmer that they're going to say at that time. Now it's amazing. Right? It's true. Those are the three places, Dafka, that are told they're not ours, right? It's the, it's the, it's the contrapositive that proves the point, right? It's the fact that it's Dafka, these three places that the, are the flashpoints. Hebron, Harabayis, and Shem, right? These are the three places. I've had this chus 
Um, I guess uh, I don't know if anybody feels differently about this. I've had the schus of being in all three places. Um, when I was in Shana Aleph, right, just parenthetical note, when I was in Shana Aleph in Yeshiva and knew even less than I don't know now, um, so a friend of mine had an uncle who, who was like a tour guide or whatever uh, and used to lead groups up to Harabayas. And we're like, okay, what do we do? I was like a, some bum high school senior. Like, I, like what was I... And he said, okay, you go to the mikvah and, uh, you know, you're going to wear like uh, Crocs or whatever if you have something like that, not leather shoes. And we're going to go up to Harabais. And like then we just casually, I casually went on to Harabais. Only now, after the fact, after I heard Rav Nevensal, the Rav of the Old City, doesn't even put his hands, I know this is a halachic debate, whatever, doesn't even put his hands in the coattail, so then I realized how serious the thing I did was. So I got to be on Tahar Abayas. That's number one. Then in Shechem, I was zochah to be in Shechem twice. Uh, neither of the times was I in active service. They used to lead a group, I don't know if it still exists, they used to lead a group on every uh, Rosh Chodesh to Davin in Kever Yosef. The first two times that I was there, now it's been rebuilt again. There used to be a yeshiva there, Yeshiva Sod Yosef Chai, and during the beginning, the first days of the, uh, of the Intifada, the Al-Aqsa Intifada. So, I don't know if you guys remember, it was a cousin of Senator Joe Lieberman, uh, Rabbi Hilla Lieberman, who had gone back to get the Sifrei Torah and was murdered. There was a border police officer, uh, uh, Drew Stavka, who was also murdered there. And they burnt down Kever Yosef. They burnt it down and it was a kippah. It was... Um, it was um, it was like a dome on top of it that was totally smashed in. I remember we came in there. We were a busload of people. And the army had to like do a whole operation, get us in there. It was the most powerful uh, religious experience I think that I've ever had outside of personal family ones. Um, covered in ashes. Shema Yisrael. There was a tzaka. It was all breast of a chassidim. It was a powerful, powerful thing. So, and then uh, I've been to Hebron. I've been zochah to be in all three. Bar Hashem. Anyway, close parentheses. Let's continue. So this is... This psalm, we said, is the perfect way to open up the Tikkun Leia, where we hope of rebuilding, because it, 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 it brings out the idea of Sof Ma'asev Machshav Atchila. The end is the beginning, is the end is the beginning. That David HaMelech at the very beginning focused on the moment that it would end, when the Aron HaKodesh would be brought in. And then when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, which was the end, so we re-go, we go back to the beginning. We reimagine what it would be like to bring the Aram Kodesh back in again in the third base Samikdash. And that's why we start Tikkun Leia by thinking all the way back to Goran Arvan, right back to the very beginning when we bought this threshing floor from the Yavusim, and then it was reduced to a threshing floor again. Right? The Navi tells us, Sion Kesada Ticharish. Where's the Navi? I believe it's Nicha. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeria. Sion. I have to switch to Hebrew. Sion Kesada. See, I get to do this uh, when we're doing Zoom. Uh, Micha, yeah, Navi Micha. The Navi Micha tells us, Because of you, Zion, Yushalayim, right? That Yushalayim will be heaps of ash and, and, and rubble, and Zion will be like a Sada. Tzion will be like a Sada. You might be familiar, Ian over here, Ayin Yod Yod Nun, so that's connected to what we said uh, here. In in Tehillim, Ayin Tes Mizmor Lasef Lekim Boy Goy Ben Achla Secha Tim Was Seichal Kachecha Vesamu Es Yushalayim Leim. So that echoes what we say in the Navi Micha Yushalayim Ein Tia 
So it's been returned to that. So we go back at the very beginning of Tikkun Leia and we imagine what it would be like to bring the Aram Kodesh back in again and to signal that the dedication of the third temple is complete. What an unbelievable way to start with Tikkun Leia. Let's continue, because uh, we're going to run out of time. So the next Mizmor, the next capital that's said in Tikkun Leia is, uh, is an extraordinary capital. Uh, this isn't the time we discussed in the second and third shear of the series about the ten different authors, according to the Medrash uh, and the Gemara, the ten different authors of Sefer Tehillim. And one of the groups of authors is the Bnei Korach, the sons of Korach. The sons of Korach, of course, were Levim. It's also a powerful reference to the, uh, to the magnitude of Tshuva that even the sons, even the descendants of the person who rabble rose against Moshe Rabbeinu, the first uh, official act of insurrection against Moshe Rabbeinu, Raya Mehemna. So, B'nai Korach, they've also done shuva. You know, I always mention, um, I, I, I don't always mention, I mentioned this year, um, yeah, I mentioned this year before Tkir Shofar, um, downstairs, I said that the, that the capital that we say before, um, before blowing shofar is So they, it's a different, uh, a different psalm than this one, I believe, right? Is it a different capital than this one or is it the same one? There's more than this. Yeah, it's a different one. Um, but uh, when we said I said, what an incredible thing. The sound of tshuva is the sound of korach Va'adaso, people in the deepest, darkest pit, swallowed up by the earth, after openly rebelling against Moshe Rabbeinu in the desert, trying to, trying to snuff out Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership at the very beginning for cynical purposes. And it's their voice, which the Gemara in Bavabasa tells us, emanates from the bottom of the depths and says, Moshe Emes, that that's people still engaged in tshuva. Korach is still engaged, in, and it's going to take a long time in the act of tshuva. His Ada, they say that they're on different levels, different pedestals in that pit. But the Bnei Korach, the sons of Korach, they tell us what Shuvah Shlema is, that they could be the ones that are Ola Aladuch in the Beis HaMikdash, who could be singing Nizmori Tilim and over the Karbanos in the Beis HaMikdash. That's Bnei Korach. That's the power of Tshuva, even by the author of these Kapitlach. So here in Tikkalei, we say, Lam Natsech Levnei Korach, Lam Natsech Maske Levnei Korach, the sons of Korach. And it's some of the most beautiful words in Tilim over here. Like a deer, like a hind, like a young deer, an antelope, uh, goes to uh, the water springs and pines for the water springs. I saw um, that, uh, that this is a reference to times of drought. That, uh, that the animals go to the watering hole. There's only a little bit left. Have you ever watched like uh, National Geographic? You see what happens in times of drought. There's, the land is parched. That's Eretz Tziyav Ayef, right? In the, the beautiful Chabad Negin, right? That we, we're in a parched, dried out land. And we're waiting for the knowledge of God to come like water, right? To let water roll down from the mountains and, and cover up the world. To slake the thirst. Uh, to slake the first of, of, a, of a world thirsty. Lotsama lalechem, not a, not a hunger for water. Lotsama lorav lalechem, lotsama lamayim, not a hunger for bread and not, and not, a, uh, not a thirst for water, but, but really for the word of God. So we are like the antelope going to this, to the, we're, like, we're like the hind going to the little bit of water left. That's Jews and Gullus, that's us. We're looking for the little bit of water left 
at that oasis. And we know that if you watch enough National Geographic, like I do, that Bedafka, when there's a little bit, then the animals are forced to go to that one place where the water is left. So that's when it's most dangerous. That's when the lions are waiting and they know that the animals need to go there. And that's when the elephants and they're pushing out the smaller animals. That's the most dangerous time. That's a description. That's a, a, a very apt description of our position spiritually uh, in this generation of uh, hopefully what is the ikvis of the Meshicha, the footsteps of the Messiah. We're like that little, uh, that little animal just waiting for the very last uh, bit of water to slake our thirst. And we know how dangerous it is to go to that watering hole. But yet we still need to go there. We still need to draw sustenance and strength for us. That's how we feel. That's how we pine for God. My soul desire seeks the face of God. Now, I always thought that this is just beautiful spiritual words. This talks about the spiritual yearning of every Jew. And the truth is that it's not exactly the case. It's a little bit deeper. Rashi tells us, or the Ibn Ezra over here, tells us, Amr of Moshe, Kizah mizmor namar bevavel. This mizmor, Laminatseach maskil of Korach, was said in Bavel. Meaning that after the Levite singers had been exiled, this was the mizmor that they said they've, they'd lost their jobs. They'd been sent off to a dry and desolate land. And they're saying, we're thirsty, we're thirsty for God. Some say, excuse me, say according to the Ben Ezra, This is a reference to us, all the people of the exile. And I wrote over here, and I'll say to you straight out, that these words, which are some of the most beautiful words ever penned of yearning for God, is actually a reference primarily to yearning for the Beis HaMikdash. The Levim who knew their place, the Vnei Korach who knew their place in the Duchan, on the, uh, on, on the dais by the Beis HaMikdash, when they were trying to describe the experience of having been forced out of the Beis HaMikdash, so they use some of the most beautiful words of kemiha, of religious ariga, of desire. Taro, gelecha, lokin, that we're thirsty, we're desirous, we're craving godliness. So that the, the, the catalyst for these words was the Levim having been the people who were exiled from the temple. And this goes to show a little bit, at least for us, when we struggle sometimes to connect on a Tishabav and try to understand what it means to be cast out of the presence of God, to be cast out of the temple in our land, that these words are, are so poignant. We're looking for this emotion. And the people that were able to express this emotion were the Levim who one day, who their entire lives were on, were on the stage, singing in the Beis HaMikdash, and now the Vnei Korach find themselves along with Anshe Agalus exiled. And the language that they used to describe that experience, to describe that longing, to describe those ga'aguim, to describe the ariga and the kimiha for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's, that's, that's maybe, I would say, that's the way we should, that's what we should be moving towards. That's what we should be trying to experience, trying to feel on a Tisha B'Av or at a Tikkun uh, Chatzos when we're trying to remember uh, the Temple. Uh, I'll mention... I'd wanted to talk about it before, what does Tikkun Chatzos look like? Uh, I, I've only done it like once or twice in my entire life. And I know that there's many individuals that do have the practice and uh, they wouldn't be the individuals that would talk about it. So I've, I read uh, a few weeks ago, I read the biography of the Ribnitzer Rebbe. Uh, the Ribnitzer Rebbe was um, an extraordinary tzaddik, extraordinary tzaddik, uh, hidden tzaddik. He lived in, uh, he lived in Borough Park. 
or in Williamsburg, I forgot exactly where, they built a, a house for him when he came over from, uh, from communist Russia. And uh, he was a person, he would break the ice, he never missed mikvah day in his life. There were a group of people that were very interested in building a house for the Ribnitz Rebbe. I've gone to his kever a number of times in Muncie, uh, which is where his kever is. I've gone there a number of times to Davin. The Ribnitz was a Paul Yeshuas. He was a person that lived above this world and was thus able to change this world and to create miracles. So the Ribnitz Rebbe, one of the practices that he was uh, especially known for was his practice of Tikkun Chatzos. And when they built him this house, when these people, I believe in Borough Park, when they built him this house, uh, so there were certain specifications that were needed. The first was a mikvah. There was a mikvah next door, but the Ribnitzer, they didn't want the Ribnitzer going out into the street. So they built a special tunnel, and then they eventually built the mikvah in his house. And then there was a special room called the Tikkun Chatzos room. And it was known that when somebody had uh, a, a, an ex- a, a especially important request prayers for somebody that was sick, or, or need for divine intervention. So that was the time they would, they would never interrupt, but they would, they would just slip a note under the door. And they described the Ribn Tzarebi that he would sit on the floor without his shoes, he would have a special sackcloth, he would have special ashes that he would put onto his forehead of Efer Tachas Pe'er, Pe'er is Tefillin and Efer, ashes, same letters in, the, in, the, in, the, in that place. And he would light candles around the entire room. That's what Tikkun Chatzos looks like. That's what the ritual looks like. That we do everything to bring ourselves into a state of mind of loss, of destruction, of, of experiencing this right now, like Rabbi Nachman said, of the destruction that's happening right now. That's Tikkun Chatzos. I was very moved by that account of the Ribnitzer Rebbe, uh, moved by the account of Tikkun Chatzos. And then I, then I subsequently read that there was a practice in Tunisian shoals, in Moroccan shoals, that, that, that it wouldn't just be one person, it would be many, many people that would come together to say Tikkun Chatzos together, a communal ritual of sorts, separate but together to say this deeply personal and, and profound uh, prayer and ritual. Let's continue a little bit more. Okay, we don't have so much time, but I want to get through Tikkun Leia. So he said... Uh, this is a particularly painful Pasuk. Um, and this is the pain of, of exile. Pain of exile is that our enemies, the Romans, say to us, and then every generation says to us, where's your God, Jews? Remember, the Catholic Church did this to us for centuries. We've had something of a reconciliation, but the Catholic Church had this as official theology for many centuries. Aye Elokecha. We superseded you. The doctrine of supersessionism. Aye Elokecha. Where is your God? In fact, it's so powerful uh, 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 and, and such a, uh, a horrific taunt. Right? My tears have been my food day and night. Then they say to me, Where is your God, Jews? You were such a powerful people. You claimed to be the chosen. Amanivchar. You claimed to be the people that had the Torah re- revealed to you. The pain of loss, Once the, even when the temple and the destruction, even when that generation is long past and we're way beyond that, the, the ringing in our ears and the ringing in the ears of Jews for centuries was this line, kol hayom, all day, convert already. Right, what are, you, what are you sticking with Judaism for? Just give it up. Where's your God? Look at you, you're stuck in the ghetto. You can only, you're relegated to certain kinds of professions. We're obviously right, Catholicism says. We're obviously right, Christianity says. Where's your God? So much so that at the end of this very same capital, at the end of this very same chapter in Tilim, so it, the line is repeated again. 
A person describes, the psalmist describes again, this feeling is like being killed again. It's like being murdered again and again. Right? To add insult to injury. You've lost the temple, you've been exiled for land, insult to injury. And this also appears elsewhere in Tanakh. Right? We find in Kapitel Kuftasvav Beis, Lama Yomru Agoyim Ayeina Elokechem. Why is it, God, that the nations can look at us and to say, Where is your God? Now, if you're familiar with the writings of Rabbi Soloveitchik, in his essay, Koldodi Dofek, so Rabbi Soloveitchik describes as one of the knocks of history, one of the knocks of divine, of the beloved, is the sense that this particular aspect of insult has been somewhat mitigated in our days with the founding of the State of Israel. He says that that doctrine of whatever you feel about Israel, uh, about the state, the doctrine of supersessionism actually needed to be revised. The Catholic Church needed to formally, event- formally revise their theology because Israel was never supposed to return back to its land and yet, incontrovertibly, the Jews are back in their land. Haredim, Chilonim, Tatim, Ashkenaz and Sarah, it doesn't matter what your politics are, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how religious you are, you're a Jew, you're back in Eretz Yisrael, Ayena is something that needs to be revised in the eyes of the world. That's what we mean when we talk about little, little steps, little ikvisah, right? Little steps, the, the footfall of the Mashiach coming. Ayena lokecha is something that we could answer. We could say, taka look, taka look. Look what's happened. Look at the story of us in our most consequential century of Jewish history since the destruction of the temple. Ayena lokechem. We have a little bit of an answer now to this. Not a total answer. Ayena lokechem, right? That word aye, by the way, uh, Kabbalah, in Kedusha's Keser, on Shabbos, when you say, Ayei Mekon Kivodo, Ayei Mekon Kivodo is both a response and an echoing of this. That we, on one hand, we say, Ayei, Ayei Mekon Kivodo, where is HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Well, it's also a response, Ayei, Kadosh Baruch Hu, Malokalaretz Kivodo, Hashem is everywhere. And the Alpi Chassidus, Pi Kabbalah, at that point, when we say Ayei, that's when full Kedusha Shabbos comes in. At that moment of ayah, we receive the answer. Hashem is here with us. It's Shabbos. That's, that's the notion. That appears in my Siddur, in the Chalkas Yeshua Siddur, right next to the word ayah in Kedusha's Kesser. Alan, uh, don't tell anybody that I uh, sometimes sneak in, uh, in Nusach Sfard when I'm in Shul. I know that we're uh, Nusach Ashkenaz Shul, but that's, uh, don't tell any of the other ritual committee members. When I get to use my own Siddur, um, when I'm not diving for the Ahmed, so I use my uh, Chalkas Yeshua. Anyway, let's continue a little bit more. The next capital in Tikkun Leia, is also an important capital for the, for the notion that we have of personal responsibility. Personal responsibility for building the temple. Uh, Jewish children are told, uh, we need you, we need your tefillos. Each and every yid can bring a geula. Don't stop, just daven. Right? Famous song. Right? And then we also learn very, very early on, again, some of the deepest mysteries of Judaism are taught to us and packaged for us like children's Torah. And children's Torah is the deepest Torah. But many of us have heard that every mitzvah, every act of chesed that we do, every good deed is something that adds on another brick to the eventual construction of the of Mikdash. We've heard this, right? Heard this idea. So what's the aspect of personal responsibility here? So David Amel writes over here, there's two kapitlach in Tikkun Leia about personal responsibility for our sins. Be my judge, Hashem. Judge me. I understand that I've messed up. Judge me. By the way, it's a very dangerous thing to say. This is why we daven together with other people. This is why we don't want Hashem always to focus on us. That might be the meaning of an ayin hara. 
that we don't want to be scrutinized. We don't want to be singled out. Because if we're scrutinized, eventually we'll find that, uh, that, that we do have failings. We do have lackings and shortcomings. We don't want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to focus directly on us, to call attention to the good things that we have. It's kind of like how Ayin Hara functions. Hashem, you judge me, and Hashem, you'll plead my cause. You'll be my, uh, you'll be my, my lawyer, my attorney, against this nation, almost like the nation that we just spoke to. This is, again, this is Mem Gimel, we just read Mem Beis, so they are linked against the people saying, Ayina Elokeichem. I want to focus on these words for a second. So I have here in the footnote in Eicha, at the third to last Pasuk, third to last verse in Eicha, we say, Right, that the feeling of Jews for time immemorial, despite our hope, despite generations of Jews saying Tikkun Chatzos, was that this is forever. That we could almost imagine to ourselves that we're, we've been so long in Gullahs, the Khalila, we've forgotten what, what Geula might look like. That Khalila, you know, it's like the scene in a movie where they ain't coming back. Right? That you're left on the side of the road and you know that when they dropped you off, that they ain't coming back. Lama lanetzach tishkachenu Hashem, how could you forget us for, for forever? Can you, can you possibly forget us forever? Tazveinu lorchiyom and to lead us, leave us for all these days. That's what said, Hashem, you've left me forlorn on the side. How long have we been forlorn? Right? It's like we mentioned before, get up, get up and have mercy on Zion. Rebuild Yushlan, show us some grace. Turn the car around, come back and pick us up. Why should I go in darkness in the pressures of our enemies? This reminded me of some of the most beautiful words that I've ever seen. And um, even though we're sort of running out of time, I need to show these words for you. It's, I've heard it in a song. But uh, Rav Kook, Rav Kook found himself in London, uh, stuck in between the two world wars. So we have in Kvats Miktav show some poetry that Rav Kook wrote at the end. And he uses, he riffs on this motif that's mentioned, Lama Zanachtani, Lama Koder Esalech Balachat Soyev. So Rav Kook riffed off these words. And I could send you, if you want to listen to the song, I'm going to put a link to, um, actually, I won't put the link in. Uh, if, you want to, if you want a link to, uh, to a song, to an Israeli band uh, that played these words in the most beautiful, tear-jerking way, uh, I'll be happy to share it. Rav Kook wrote, in Pimchas Rishumas Mi London, at the end of his notes in London, he says, If my energies, if my strength is sapped, broken, and my nerves are, are stressed and taut and, and I'm at the breaking point. From the stoppages in my mind of anger. And that's the word koder, from a darkness, a dimming, a, a, a blocking out. Of my, of my mind, I can't even think properly. And that's what David HaMelech is saying. Lama koder Right? Rafumi, uh, Rav Kook also says, oh, he says, Rav Kook has another, uh, another line over there. It's almost like he's channeling this kapitol. He says, Rafumi bisari. My, my flesh has, has been, I feel broken. Rafumi koder. From walking in darkness. That's how we find ourselves in Gullahs. Constantly walking in darkness. And there's no light for me. Rukuk was certainly stuck in between the enemies of the two world wars. He does write in a very happy way. 
and a, a, a solid ending. It says, The healing lies behind our kotel. And this could also be a reference to our kotel, the wall that we've been brought up to. We've talked about the Ikvasat Mashiach. We've talked about certain aspects of Tikkun Leia finally showing themselves to be rectified. Certain aspects of these Tehillim being rectified. Being brought back to the Kotel Amaravi. But it's still, we're waiting for what's behind the Kotel. We're waiting for the time that we could bring in the Aron into Goran Arvan. That we can find the, 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 the threshing floor that the Aron Kodesh could be brought back into it again and we could truly say Lashem Aretz Mloa Teva V'yosheva the whole earth is the Lord's and may that healing come deep within our souls may our broken spirit be healed and repaired and may we all find our ability to sing to say poetry to daven properly to speak properly, the stoppages in our mind and mouth, the things that prevent our heart and our mind from conversing and expressing what we really want to say in tefillah and Torah and conversation, tashuv l'sachaka, it should start to flow again. From the words of Shir Ashir, may we feel may we feel the kisses of HaKadosh Baruch Hu bringing us back after we've been saying Lama l'netzach teshkacheinu. And uh, we won't be able to truly finish it. Again, Tikkun Leia finishes off. I feel like I should end on those lines. Hashem is going to, finally, we said, In Tikkun Rachel, we say, Have mercy, Over here in Tikkun Leia, and then finally we say, Hallelujah, the secret fraternity of those that yearn, sorority and fraternity of people who yearn for the rebuilding of the Vesa Mikdash, people who sit and dedicate those hours at night to cry over it and to recognize the destruction still there in our own lives and in the national life and in the life of the entire world. And we finally, Mir Hashem, will be able to say that Hashem. Until when will there be crying in Zion and eulogizing in Yerushalayim? Takum, get up. Terachim Tzion, have mercy on Zion. Tivne Chomos Yerushalayim. And until that time, we'll be waiting on the ramparts for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to finally come back to be Merachim and Zion, to rebuild the temple, and to be Machnis, and that we'll be able to say, Lashem Ha'aretzim Loa Tevav Yosheba, with the return of the Aram Kodesh to the rebuilt third base Amikdash. Stay tuned, uh, we'll do Tehillim a little bit more. I want to thank everyone.